So Pastor Oscar this morning is in Argentina serving the Lord there, uh, reaching out to, to encourage and train and assist some, some of God's saints in Argentina. And it's our privilege this morning to have Pastor Paul Valderas with us this morning. Pastor Paul is one of, can I say you're one of Oscar's disciples? Oscar uh, entrusted him with the church that Oscar planted out in Lancaster. And I don't know who's preaching there this morning, but uh, Oscar's invited Paul to come again. I think he was here, what, six months ago or so? And uh, Pastor Oscar's invited him to come again and uh, to be here. He very calmly asked me just a few minutes ago, he says, is, is there a pulpit somewhere? So uh, we're going to improvise that I'm going to grab Pastor Oscar's table and drag it down here for you, Paul, and uh, come and open God's Word to us. Will you do that? God bless you, Grace of Norwalk. How are you guys doing this morning? It's great to be back. It's, uh, it's been six months or a year. I was very excited when uh, Pastor Oscar invited me uh, again. I was shocked. Uh, I, was, I was thinking, what is he doing? But uh, no, it's a, it's a joke. I, I'm, it's a great privilege to be with you guys. I was uh, expressing to my wife that last time I was here, you guys welcomed me and treated me well, and uh, you guys were very responsive to the message, so I was excited, you know, whenever a preacher, uh, when you say to a preacher, good message, he gets, you know, especially when nobody says it, (laughs) he gets excited, so it's good to be here. Um, Having said that, I would like to speak to you about a subject that that is very important, that is relevant for every single one of us, and I've titled this message, How to Overcome Discouragement. Say it with me, how, how to overcome Discouragement. Now, now, you must understand that I, you know I preach at a Hispanic church, Spanish-speaking church, um, you know where we speak the celestial language, Spanish, and um, we're, we're responsive to one another. We interact. So, so if I say, uh, say it with me, don't don't get alarmed. Amen. Um, I know some of you guys are very polished, but you know we're we're, <laughs> we're kind of basic at our church, and um, you know just don't interrupt. Don't. It's not Q and A session, right? But. <laughs> But anyways, um, I would like to speak to you about discouragement, how to overcome discouragement. Please open your Bibles to Nehemiah, um, uh, Nehemiah 4, starting at verse 10, and we're going to read from verse 10 through 14. Amen. If if you would, I know if it's not too much to ask, but at our church we do, do this, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In Judea, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed people by their clans, with their swords and with their spears, and with their bows. Verse 14. And I looked and rose, and I looked and rose, and said to the nobles, and to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and 
fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. The Bible, or your word claims to be your, your very own breath in 2 Timothy 3.16. For all scripture is inspired by you, Father. And it is the only means by which we can live transformed lives. And I would ask you this morning that you would do just that. That this word would transform the hearts of my brothers and sisters here at Norwalk. Father, it would transform the life of all of us as we hear your word. Father, let us hear you speak through the pages of scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, Amen. Very well. Some time ago I heard a story about how the devil needed some extra cash. So he decided to have a yard sale. How many of you like yard sales here? Some of you are like, no, Brother Paul, I only shop at Rodeo Drive at the Grove. But you know, it's said that one one man's trash is another man's treasure. So the devil decided to have a yard sale. And he took his finest tools and placed them on his lawn. And you can imagine the lawn of the devil it wasn't green or vibrant. It was, you know, it was brown and it was, you know, burnt. So he put there his finest tools and he placed on each tool a price tag according to its effectiveness. So he had on his lawn, he had the tool of lust and it had a high price, but not as much as jealousy. It had a higher price. On the corner of the lawn was a sale going on. Buy one and get the second one for 50% off. And there was, ju- there was, a, you know, there was a lying and, and, and pride. But over to the side, there was a tool that was worn out. It was all banged up. It was dented up. So a curious customer picked up the tool and he noticed that the price was very, very high. And he said to the devil, Mr. Devil, why is it that this tool is all banged up? Now it's missing a handle. Why is this so much? Shouldn't it be cheaper? To which the devil responded and said, look, that's the tool of discouragement. And that is my most effective tool of them all. When I use it on Christians, I can use all the other tools. Discouragement is my most effective tool. And then he said, on second thought, give me that, I'm not going to sell it. He rudely snatched it from the customer's hand. Now, I know this is a made-up story, it's, it's not real, but it does illustrate a truth that we cannot ignore, that we find all over Scripture. That Satan, the enemy of our soul, often uses discouragement on Christians to bring them down. And that is a truth that concerns us all, friends, because, see, discouragement is the number one issue that brings Christians down. What is discouragement? Well, we can say discouragement is an emotional state where, you know, you're deprived of hope, where you're disheartened, where you want to give up, where you want to throw in the towel. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like the culture we live in? We live in a very discouraged and depressed culture. How many of you would agree? Statistics say that over 50 million adults 
uh, suffer with some type of depression, anxiety, some type of mental illness. 12.1 million adults have thought of killing themselves. What's even more alarming is that 8% of children, of teenagers, have experienced some type of anxiety disorder. Even children are discouraged nowadays. Imagine that. You know, I didn't know what an anxiety attack was until my 30s. Amen? When I grew up, we had, I had no care in the world. You know, I guess my problems were, what am I going to eat and what am I going to play? That was all we cared about. I would suggest, I don't want to look down, I don't want to talk down on today's generation, but I would say, I would say that our generation or our generations were a bit tougher. Would you agree with me? I mean, we did things unheard of that, 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 that would, would blow any child's mind nowadays. How many guys used to drink from the green hose and the, spig- and the spigot? You guys remember that? I, I didn't know what, what anxiety was. Though. I was like 30. I was, you know, I had grass stains on my jeans and I, I would fall every moment. I'd get up and just keep going. That was just life. As a matter of fact, the other day I was at my son's house and, and, I, and there was a family member there of his on his mother's side and he, and he was crying, Pastor. He was, he was shaking. And I said, what's wrong with him? The doctor said he's having a panic attack. He's only 12 years old. I was like, that's amazing. But, but, but it is the world that we, we live in today. Not only is the world discouraged, but, but the church is discouraged. Statistics which show that even the most mature saints are discouraged. 70% of pastors say that they suffer from low self-esteem. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 50% of pastors and ministers feel discouraged that they want to leave their ministry if they could, but they can't do anything else but preach. Imagine that. 80% believe that... Pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 33% struggle in their marriage and are divorcing. So, discouragement doesn't only come into the unbeliever's life, it, it shows up in our lives. How many of you would agree? You know, I heard a story of a man, of a, a woman who, who, sorry, a woman who knocked on another on, on her son's door and said, hey, we have to go to church. It's time to go to church. And she knocked again, it's time to go to church. And he said, I don't want to go to church. I don't like church. She knocked for the second time, hey, we have to go to church. She knocked for the third time and he said, why do we have to go to church? And she said, well, because you're the pastor. <laughs> so, even Christians suffer with discouragement. Discouragement can halt our growth in Christ. It can stop you in your tracks. It can paralyze you from doing God's word. So, so friends, uh, brothers and sisters, the, the pressing issue becomes, what can we do, what can I do to overcome discouragement? I believe that the book of Nehemiah answers that question. Now, the book of Nehemiah is a historical book. Amen? And it's about Nehemiah's efforts and God's people's efforts to rebuild the walls that are in rubble in Jerusalem. Now, most modern Bibles do not... Uh, when you read most modern Bibles, you, you find that Ezra and Nehemiah were two separate books, but originally they were one book, one single author. And this takes place after the Babylonian 
captivity. After the Babylonians had destroyed Israel, have destroyed the temple, have destroyed the city walls. And now they are about to build. And we see three leaders there, key leaders. We see Sorobobo, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Sorobabel in Spanish. Anyways, he, <laughs> he, uh, he is commissioned, or, or God has put in his heart to rebuild the temple. Ezra, the priest, well, he's rebuilding lives. He's, he's teaching the Torah. He's, remember, these people uh, were not exposed to God's law, and they needed to be restored in God's word. And Nehemiah, then his efforts was to rebuild the wall that was in shambles. Now, each of the three leaders, they encounter opposition, which shows us a very, a very important truth, church, that that we can bank on that when God's people, when we attempt to do God's word, God's way, we will always face opposition. I mean, you would agree with me. It's all over the Bible. Like, you see it all over the Bible. God's people want to do God's will. They want to do something great for God. And here comes the devil, and he, you know, he presents opposition to them. Now, notice, in the book of uh, Acts, you see that the church is doing great. The primitive church was doing great. I mean, Peter preached one message, and 3,000 souls came to Christ. That's good. Because sometimes we as pastors can't get ten people to come to Bible study. Right? So he's doing good. The church is doing good. And all of a sudden, persecution breaks out. We see that opposition is the God's people want to do God's will, and then there's, they're presented with opposition. And we see it all over the Bible. Paul, maybe one of the greatest uh, Christians of them all, he was, you know, he was criticized by the Judaizers, he was, he was stoned to death in Lystra, he was whipped, he was chased by 40 Jews. He was basically a fugitive on the run. So when God's people want to do God's will, God's way, there is always opposition. Church, God has never promised us an easy life. Amen? We're not entitled to an easy Christianity. How, much would, how many would agree with me this morning? You know, out there, there's a, there's a dangerous heresy, the, the prosperity gospel that says that you have to have the best, to, that because you're the Christian, you deserve the very best. You, you deserve the best car, the, the, the best church, you, you, your life should be free of troubles. And that's not what Jesus taught in Scripture. That is not what the Holy Scriptures teach us. The Bible teaches us that if we want to live an obedient life, a godly life before God, that we will be persecuted, we will suffer opposition. So the first thing I want you to notice is that in verse 2 and 3, in chapters 2 and 3, we see the opposition, but in chapter 4, we see the response of God's people to opposition. We, we, we see the response that they had, and they responded with discouragement. So, in chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, we see, number one, the nature of discouragement. Say with me, the nature of discouragement. We also see the cause of discouragement. And then thirdly, we see the cure for discouragement. So that is... My outline this morning. So let, let's look at the first, uh, the, first, uh, the, the first heading, the nature of discouragement. Now under this heading, uh, I want to give you three descriptions of what discouragement is. Amen? So, number one, I want you to notice that discouragement does not discriminate. Discouragement does not, does not discriminate. Notice what verse 10 says. In Judah, it was said... That the strength of those that bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to re- b- 
build the walls. Now, if you notice, these are, the, these are the words of a very discouraged group of people. Commentators say that this was actually something that was commonly said in Judea. That, you know, we can't build a wall. We, our, our strength is, is failing. Some commentators even think that this was a song. So what we see here is that the, the people of God... Are, the people of God are expressing their discouragement poetically, maybe through a song. Amen. That's interesting because uh, that was a. If it was a song, it was a very sad song. How many of you guys would agree? I think this is where they got country music from, right? As country music always talks about how the girl broke up with them, the car broke down, right? In Spanish, we have the same thing. They're called rancheras. They're very depressing. Very depressing, by the way. This is not a worship song. This is people expressing their discouragement, but we see something interesting here. And what is interesting is that it was said in Judah. Now, keep that in mind because discouragement, what this shows us is that discouragement can happen to anybody. Amen? It could happen to a believer, it could happen to a non-believer, it could happen to a mature Christian, it could happen to an immature Christian. No one's exempt from discouragement. As a matter of fact... The Bible shows us that some of the most mature men of God were at times discouraged. If you think of Job, Job was very discouraged, amen? Not only Job, Elijah. Not only Elijah, but, but King David. And let's not forget Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the crying prophet. His middle name should have been Crybaby because he's got a whole book. Lamentations is about him wailing to God, crying to God. So, so we as Christians, we experience uh, discouragement. Now, this text is very interesting because it says that it was Judah who was expressing these words. See, after the death of King Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, Benjamin. And see, Judah was loyal. They were very loyal. Uh, it was Judah where all the kings of Israel except Saul came from. It was Judah, the tribe of Judah, from where our blessed Savior would come. He is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It is Judah, the people that are supposed to be the most mature, the most strongest, the bravest tribe. It was those people who were discouraged. And friend, this shows us that discouragement can happen to anyone, including you and I. See, uh... History also confirms that even the most mature preachers were depressed at one time. How many of you guys have heard of Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers? He once said this, I would not wish my worst, to my worst enemy the depths of despair and discouragement I often feel for weeks and months. John Wesley also was given to discouragement. He married the wrong person. Now, I didn't know this, but this is very interesting. There were times where... Wesley's wife would drag him by his hair around the house. <laughs> Imagine that for a moment. She's lucky she wasn't alive today because, I mean, that would have been domestic violence, right? They don't only take the guy anymore, they take the girl, right? Domestic violence looks like... If that were to happen to me, I, I, I think I'd cut my hair off completely. But he was discouraged because he had married the wrong person. And... This is interesting because this, this speaks to us as well. It shows us that God uses opposition many times to get rid of our self-sufficiency. 
Amen? Now it doesn't say that Judah was self-sufficient, but by nature, all of us, because we're all uh, sons and daughters of Adam, we are all prideful. How many of you would agree? By nature, we're just, we're just prideful. We're, we're, we're self-sufficient, aren't we? Especially us men. We, we don't like to ask, well, we used to not like to ask for directions, but now we have GPS, so just, right? I come from a Hispanic uh, uh, background, and my, my dad is too proud to ask for help. He's too proud to ask for directions. We're often like that too. As Christians, we, we suffer and we struggle with self-sufficiency. And the root of self-sufficiency, church, is what? It's pride. We like to think that we are the cause of our accomplishments. Amen? It was Adam and Eve who bought into the lie that, that if they took from the fruit, that they would be what? Like gods. And that was attractive to their eyes. See, we, we've always wanted autonomy. We always wanted independency from God. We do not like to be dependent upon anybody. See, we're like Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali once was traveling on a plane. And he was about to, the plane was about to, uh, you know, take off. And they asked Muhammad Ali to put his seatbelt on because he would not put his seatbelt on. To which he responded... Superman doesn't need no seatbelt. The attendant said, well, he, ne- he didn't need a plane either. <laughs> See, we're often like that. We, we're self-confident. And the Bible teaches us that we, we should put our confidence not in ourselves, but in, but in the person of Christ. So we should depend upon Christ. Amen? See, the Christian walk... It's about dependence on Christ. And we see it all over the scriptures. But if, if, you, if you would open your Bibles to Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 22, it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us... Draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed away with pure water. Now this, this is an interesting text. I love this text, but this text tells us that we, are, we have access to God. That's good news, church. There are places where you and I do not have access to. I mean, you don't have access to Area 51. If you go to Area 51, you, you're not going to make it. There, there's an island in Brazil that's infested with, with snakes. You, you don't have access to that. You don't have VIP access to, I don't know, the, some, some pop artist. You don't have access to that. But the Christian, according to this scripture, we have access to the very throne of God. And, and, and the Bible says that we ought to come confidently. See, your confidence should be in that, 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 that you are accepted now through Christ, that you're accepted to the Father. That should be our, our confidence, that we can enter God's presence, that we can draw near to Him, and He will hear our prayer. Amen? That's a good way to say, that's a good place to say amen, by the way. Our prayers are heard. We can come confidently. We, we have access 
Our, our confidence should be in the person, person of Christ because we can draw near by His, His blood that we, we could draw near by the new life that He, He, He ripped the curtain over, I mean, open and we can, we can come confidently because He's our high priest. This text shows us that our assurance and our confidence should be placed in the person of Christ. Not in ourselves. We, we can't put our confidence in ourselves, but we must put it in the person of Christ because it's only in Christ that we can overcome any of life's obstacles. Amen? And, and that's important for us to understand. So, it was Judah. It was Judah who was saying these words of discouragement. Now, some of you would say, well, not me. That, that, that would not happen to me. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he is standing heed lest he fall. See, the prime candidate to fall is the person that thinks that cannot happen to me. And re- discouragement can happen to anybody. Now, notice the second thing about discouragement is that it's not only, it not only can happen to any saint, but discouragement is both predictable and unpredictable. Amen? And I want to show you that in verse 10 as well. It says that they lost their strength and they grew discouraged, right? But when did they grow discouraged? Notice what 6 says. Verse, verse 6 is important to understand this text as well. Notice the context of this text in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. So go back to Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. It says, so we built the wall... And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. When was it that they grew discouraged? It was, it was at half point. They had built the wall halfway. Amen? See, discouragement can come in our lives at any point, at any time of our lives. But it's predictable because it often happens when we were halfway done. Isn't that true? I mean, when's when we grow discouraged? When, when we, when we, uh, we have things that are halfway done, at midpoint. Like for example, somebody gets excited about going on a walk or going on a hike. And it's halfway that you get tired and you want to turn around and say, I'm tired, I just want to go home. Right? It's halfway, midpoint when we get tired of things. When do you get tired of your car? When it's halfway paid off. Right? Right? When you, I want a, I want a 2023 Lexus. Right? When does marriage get hard? It's hard, right, church? Amen? Church is not, marriage is not easy. How many, how many would agree? I mean, when you're dating, everything is wonderful. Walking on cloud nine. But then when you get married and you know your spouse, that, that, that's when, when things get a little tough. Isn't it true? And listen, even, even listen, we have such a good God that, that even, even marriage... It's for the benefit of our sanctification. Uh, uh, Romans 8.28 says that God's purpose in salvation is to, is to mold us into the image of His Son. So what God is doing in our lives is that He's making you more like Jesus. That, that's what God, His Spirit is doing in your life. He's making you more Christ-like. Amen? And marriage will make you more Christ-like. Because if you don't have patience, <laughs> guess what? Marriage will make you patient. So, when does marriage get tough halfway through? It is, when does, when does school get boring? At recess, when it's halfway through, right? 
So the, the point that I want to make is that here we see the timing of discouragement. Halfway. When it's halfway done, that, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. How many of you would agree that's a dangerous place to be? Because it's often when the Christian grows bitter and grows discouraged. I mean, you don't see new believers being discouraged, right? New believers, they're on fire for God. They're, they got passion. They, they want to go to everything. They want to go to Bible study. They want to, they want to speak to the pastor. They want to be in every service. When I got saved, I was, they had to kick me out of, of, of women's service because I would show up to everything. I was, I was excited about Jesus. I fell in love with Jesus. And when a new believer comes to Christ, he's in love with Jesus. I mean, I, he's in love with Jesus. He doesn't have time to be discouraged. But it's the Christian who, who has, who's been in church many years who, who begins to grow discouraged. All of a sudden they grow bitter. They start complaining about everything. Right? Complain about the pastor's sermon, the, how long the pastor preaches, about how the church doesn't have that, doesn't have the other thing. It, it's the mature believer who sometimes is more often prone to discouragement. I heard a story about a pastor. Got up in the pulpit and he, he apologized because he had a band-aid on his face. And he said, I was thinking about my sermon while shaving and I cut my face. After, the usher found a note in the collection page. It said, next time, think about your face and cut your sermon. (laughs) Because people often grow discouraged when they're mature or where they have many years. Because you could be a Christian for 20 years and it doesn't mean you're mature. Right? I mean, we as, as people of God, we should be excited to go to God's house. Amen? We should be excited to have the privilege to open this gracious book should be excited about Jesus. Amen? Spurgeon said that the church is the best place on earth. It's not Disneyland. It's not Magic Mountain. It's this place. This is the, bla- the best place you can be today. Trust me, church. Coming to worship God and hearing His Word is not boring. It's a great privilege. So, it's... It's, they're getting discouraged about leaving, about the work. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. And notice the text says, we cannot do this by ourselves. That's what it says in verse 10. They were saying, we cannot do this by ourselves, God. So what that means is that they were blaming God. They needed help. They needed divine intervention. We cannot do this by ourselves as if God was not helping them from the very start. And this is true of our lives, church. We must understand that sometimes when we're discouraged, we feel like God is absent. But I want to let you know, church, that God is a God of providence and He's been there from the very start. He's never left your side. He is a God who works through providence. He, he, he works behind the scenes sometimes. It, it, you, you don't see it. You can't perceive it. But God is there. He, God is working through providence. And they want to give up halfway. Now they want to give up on work. They don't want to give up on God. They're, they're giving up on, on work. And listen, church, uh, every Christian, they're called to rebuild the the wall, but we're called to do a work for God. How many would agree with me? And that work that you're called to do is great. Amen? 
To serve the local church is a great work. I know some of you don't think so, but it's, it's, you've lost flavor to it but, it, but it is a great work. Raising godly children in the middle of a perverse generation, that's a great work. God has called, God has called God's people, His people, to do great works. Amen? So they're tired of work. They're not tired of God. They're not giving up on God. But midway can be a, a dangerous place too because some people, some people want to give up on God altogether. You know, we hear stories uh, about how pastors leave the faith. They, 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 they deject the faith. And uh, Jesus warns us in Luke, you don't have to look for it, 14 verse 28 says, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Now, this isn't talking about giving up on work. It's, it's talking about giving up on God altogether. Some people want to give up altogether. And Jesus says that we have to consider the cost of discipleship. We have to consider the cost of following Christ. Jesus doesn't want people just to follow Him because of an emotion or because they, they feel good about, about Him for a moment. They, he wants us to sit down and consider what's, what it's going to cost us to follow Christ. Salvation is free. How many would agree with me? Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Amen? It is grace alone. We don't have to do works to be saved. That doesn't cost us anything. But our, but our walk with Christ, it's going to cost us some things. Amen? It's going to cost us self-dedication. You want to have a healthy Christian life, a healthy spiritual life, it's going to cost you some things. You, you cannot grow spiritually watching Netflix every day. Right? You have to be exposed to God's Word. You have to be near God's Word. It's going to cost you some things. And it's at midpoint that we often get discouraged. But not only to, does this text show us that, that it's at midpoint that, that uh, discouragement is both unpredictable and predictable. It shows us that discouragement can be de- debilitating. Amen? If we go back to verse 10 again, I know that I'm looking at 10 a lot, but I want you to notice something here in verse 10. Notice, it says, The strength of those who bearing the burdens is failing. Now, they were discouraged for many reasons. But discouragement is debilitating because this text shows us that they were discouraged simply because they were fatigued. The picture here is that of a man carrying a load and it's, it's too heavy for them to carry. They were just plain out worn out. They had worked for a long time. They were physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. Now, I find it interesting to see that this word, this, this, this phrase in the Hebrew, it, it shows us that they were physically tired. And, and it's important to note that, that our, you know, sometimes being physically exhausted has a lot to do with our spiritual life. Some people don't need to read another verse or, or get closer to God. They just need a good nap. Amen? How many would agree with me? We have to be wise about how we live our lives. We, we, we can't just be in everything. We have to learn. Uh, Pastor Oscar says this a lot to me. Brother Paul, you have to learn how to say no. <laughs> no, brother, I can't. I love you, but I can't do that. That's what he tells me a lot because I often say yes to everything. I'm a yes man. Would you take care of Sunday school? Yes. Would you take care of this? I'll, man, I'll do it. I'm a yes man. 
And I often have to learn how to take care of my, my physical health because without my physical health, it is hard to serve God. How many of you would agree? Amen. Uh, it was Robert Murray who, who died at the age of 29. He was one of the greatest preachers. He died at the age of 29. Before he died, he wanted to give, he wanted to give a message. And he wrote this, God gave me a message to deliver to you and a horse to ride. I have killed the horse and now I cannot deliver the message. He was talking about himself. He went to be with the Lord before it was before he, he accomplished his mission here on earth. And there are people like that. You know, we're not we're not superman. We 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 can't do everything. We we're the body of Christ. We have to let other people uh, do things. Amen. Sometimes I turn off my phone and I say, God, it's your church. I'm going to sleep. You take care of it. <laughs> right? It's not my church. It's it's God's church. Amen. And the people of Judah, they were worn out physically. Now we have to know our limits. We we have to learn how to say no. This is this is wise. Instruction for us this morning. Not only that, but um, you know, you need to rest sometimes. But the people, the people that rest are the people that work. I mean, you agree? See, see there, there are pastors. Some, some pastors are they're never around for the church. Have you noticed that? Some pastors are they're always doing something. They're always on vacation, right? The people that work are the people that rest. But there are some that rest too much. They're well rested, right? They're everywhere. There's this guy who was, um, who was asking for his pastor. He was like, where's the pastor? He, he's on visitation duty. He's on visitation. He's on visitation. That's all they would tell him. Come to find out that the pastor had bought a yacht and he named it the visitation. <laughs> he was always on vacation and never around. And that's not what, what we ought to be doing either. As Christian, as Christian pastors and ministers and servants, we ought to be, we have to be available to God's people. That is what God has called us to. Amen? I love timeshare. I love to get out sometimes. But, I grew up with old school pastors that would tell me, Brother Paul, you, you can rest at the, at the grave. <laughs> right now it's time to do God's work. And we ought to be about God's work. Amen? We ought to be about tending to God's people. This is what we're called for. But they were tired. So, discouragement... What it looks like, it, it, it's, it's, it's debilitating. It could happen at, only, at any moment. It's unpredictable. It does not make exceptions. But notice second, the second point. Well, it's one point with three subpoints. Sorry, I'm almost done here. <laughs> Be patient with me. I'm going to shorten this message. So, I want you to see the cause of discouragement. Notice, it is... What causes discouragement? What causes discouragement is, is frustration due to the loss of vision. Frustration, because we lose vision of what's important. Notice that they said in verse 10, there's much rubbish or rubble. There's much rubble. And what, is this, what is this speaking about? Well, in, in ancient times, or, or when they took uh, the people of Israel captive, they didn't only take the people captive, they destroyed the temple and they destroyed... The wall. So they left all the trash on the floor, the garbage on the floor. Now verse 6 says that they built it halfway, which meant, which meant that they were building 
the wall and, and they were building it among garbage. <laughs> the rubble was already there. Say with me, it was already there. It didn't bother them before. But now it was bothering them. And what they say is, there's too much garbage. We can't do it. And this happens when we, we, we take our eyes off of God and we put our eyes on circumstances. There's always going to be obstacles, church, to do God's work. There's always going to be obstacles in our way. What is your rubble? What is your obstacle this morning? I would like to remind you that rubble are small things that you should not sweat. There are obstacles in your life that are small, and it's often the small obstacles that discourage us. How many of you would agree? See, um, most of you know that I, that I pastor the church there at, at Love and Restoration in Lancaster, and uh, pastoring is not easy. Amen? I've, I've, I'm only, I've only been a pastor for three years, and I've discovered that it's, it's never easy to be a pastor. I went into ministry with visions of it. It's going to be easy. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to get along with the youth and it's going to be cool. But <laughs> church ministry is hard. And one of the things that I see in, in myself, my rubble are human limitations. So I was called to minister a church that spoke Spanish. And, and, and listen, Spanish is not my, my cup of tea. It's not my strongest language. You must know that. that I am ministering a church where there's a there's a... There's a, there's a language barrier. <laughs> and and I've, I've always often told Oscar that it's funny how, you know, God sends them over here <laughs> to pastor an English church, and God sends me over there to pastor a Spanish-speaking church. And, and that is often hard for me to do. You know, sometimes I say some things, and, and, and I think I'm being funny, but they're laughing at me because I, I might have pronounced something wrong. God calls us to some seemingly strange situations, doesn't he? But it's his will. You can't say no. You know, God calls pastors, people to minister churches with language barriers. Another thing is that I didn't finish seminary. So, I mean, I didn't finish seminary, so that's what I'm doing now. That's another limitation I have. Because only Grace Brethren will invite me to preach. Not, not a lot of churches. If you don't have ministry background, they don't want to hear you preach. Even though if you, you do know theology and the Word of God. So, what I'm trying to tell you, church, is that we all have obstacles. We all have obstacles, but you cannot sweat the small stuff. You cannot let those obstacles keep you from doing God's will in your life. What are your obstacles? Maybe it's not a language barrier. Maybe it's something else. But when you put your eyes on the obstacle and take your eyes off of God, you grow discouraged. And you can only think of the obstacle and not how big your God is. Amen? Because God is big. He is great. And He is awesome. Amen? So, not only do we get discouraged when we take our eyes off of what's important, but we get discouraged because of the, because of the uh, 
threats of the enemy. Notice what, was, what, what verse 11 says. If we go back to Nehemiah 4, 11, it says, And our enemy said, They will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So they lost confidence. A loss of confidence because of the threats of the enemy. Notice, they lost confidence. They said, because our enemies said this, right? The, the enemies were saying things and they were threatening the, the people of God. And that's why they grew discouraged. Because the enemies were saying things. It was, it was Tobias and, and, and Sambalot that were threatening God's people. And because of their words, just because of their words, they grew discouraged. Now here's, here's, here's what's important for us to understand. Is that discouragement is often contagious as well. You would agree? It says that the, the, the people that were, were not building the, the, the wall, but they were surrounded in the city. They began to freak out. They were panicking. And they came ten times and said, look, come back. Because the enemy is going to get you. Come back. Discouragement is contagious. All of a sudden you have one bad apple, you have many bad apples. Amen? You got one discouraged member in the church? Oh my God, that's ten problems. Right? I heard of a fellow who, who was about to jump off a bridge. The police officer tried to stop him. He said, what can be so bad that you want to end your life? Surely it's not bad enough. The jumper told him his, that his wife had left him, that his business had been go- gone bankrupt, that his friends were dis- deserted him. He told him everything, and then 30 minutes later... They both jump off the cliff. Discouragement is is contagious. Amen? And right now, it's not a good time to be discouraged. How many would agree? There are a lot of things going around us. Like, did you hear about that lady who, who was arrested in England or the UK for simply praying, uh, for, for praying silently in front of an abortion clinic? You could get arrested in England for just praying silently. Right now, it's not a good time to be discouraged because it's only a matter of, it's only a matter of time where a full-blown persecution takes place. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in England. Now, they were... This, this text reminds me of something as well. It reminds me that our enemy, like their enemy... Many times can't do nothing to us but just threaten us. Right? The enemy has a lot of bark but no bite. See, these people were being discouraged because of, the, of their enemy. And all when you read the book of Nehemiah, there's no fight. Nothing goes down. There's no war. Nobody hurts anybody. It's just them speaking words and threatening God's people. And that's often what the enemy does to us, there are three things you need to know about your enemy. Number one, the enemy of our soul is real. How many would agree? Too many people in church live their life like there is no war, like there is no enemy, like we're not in middle of spiritual warfare. We are called to spiritual warfare. The life of the Christian is a battle, not a walk in the park. We are fighting every day against principalities. See, see, we, we must understand that there are two extremes. There are people that underestimate the enemy and there are people that give him too much credit. They overemphasize his work. Would you agree with me? 
There's some people that live like he doesn't exist, but other people see him in everything. They see him in a tortilla. Oh, the devil's right there. The devil's there. We must not allow that. You must live good, balanced lives. Secondly, he is powerful. Amen? Open your Bibles quickly, Ephesians 6.11, just because I, I want to put this in perspective. He is powerful. He, he's not altogether weak. Notice what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has schemes. The word here, schemes, in the Greek is methodia. It's from where we get the English word method. So what this text is showing us is that the devil, the enemy of our soul, he has methods. He has schemes. And it refers to trickery or deceit. So what this is showing us is the devil, he doesn't play nice. Amen? The devil has tricks up his sleeves. He has methods to make us fall. He, he doesn't attack us with brute force. He plans it out. He has schemes. These schemes are meant to discourage us. He doesn't play right. He's always, he's a dirty fighter. He's a, he's a sore loser. How many of you guys like boxing here? I love boxing. Don't ever say that a Christian can't like boxing. Paul said, I do not, you know... What is it? I do not punch the air. <laughs> He's looking at a, a, you know, a boxing match, kind of. Well, back in the days, in 1896, Norman Kid McCoy was a welterweight boxer. He's a champion. And he learned that one of his opponents was death. So right before the round was about to finish, he says... The bell is ringed when it had not rung. And at that moment, he punches his opponent and knocks him out. That's a dirty move. Would you agree? And the devil is like that. He, he's a sore loser. But thirdly, and this is the most important thing, the devil is defeated. Amen? Isn't that good news? Church, grace of Norwalk, that is good news. That the enemy of our soul is defeated because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago on the cross. Amen? He has defeated the enemy. So the devil cannot hurt you. He cannot hurt you. He, nothing, he can't do nothing that God will not allow in your life. That's good news. So, here it is. The last point. How? The cure for discouragement. The cure for discouragement. Verses 13 through 12. Notice what he says. Therefore I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to the families with swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and the leaders and the rest of God's people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your house. Notice that this text says that what Nehemiah did to overcome discouragement is that he reorganized the people. He put people, he stationed people in the most, in the most weak spots of the, of the wall. 
And this shows us that we, we have to reinforce. And when we're, we're discouraged, we, we have to reorganize ourselves. We have to reinforce the areas that are weak in our lives. How many of you would agree that we have weak areas in our lives? Amen? We're not perfect. We're not all that in a bag of chips. Amen? We're still struggling with sin. Amen? We're saints, but we're sinners at the same time. Sin has not completely been eradicated from us and we're still struggling with certain areas and you know what those areas are. Amen? And sometimes those sinful areas can cause us to be discouraged. So, so God's Word in, in a way is showing us that we have, to, we have to reinforce the weak areas in our lives. He put people in the weak areas of the wall. He stationed people in the most vulnerable parts of the wall. It's interesting to see that in this text, in the, first, in the context of this text, we see that when they suffer opposition, Nehemiah prays. He prays twice. And we ought to pray. Amen? We ought to be praying people. Jesus taught us to pray so that we won't fall into, enter into temptation. He taught us to pray about our temptation. He, prodded, he taught us to pray, if you will, about those, those areas in life where we're tempted. We ought to bring our weak areas to God. But not, also, not only did they, did they pray, they acted. Amen? And see, you've got to pray and you've you got to act. How many would say amen? God is sovereign, but man is responsible. The Bible says that we don't have certain things because we do not ask. Amen? The Bible teaches us that God, He knows everything. That, that, that even before we come to Him in prayer, He already knows our need. You do not come to God to tell Him the 411. He already knows everything about your life. Amen? I often tell my Spanish church, you can't tell God the cheese me. He already knows everything. About your life, He knows it. Prayer is not about informing God. It's about dependence. You come in dependence. You come like a child and you, you, put your, you cast your cares upon the holy and great God who is on His throne. But you don't only just pray. You have to act. Amen? You have to act. So he reorganized those areas. But finally, this is my final point this morning. Notice Nehemiah, when he sees that they're discouraged, they're fearful, he stands up and he says, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. Remember God, who is great and awesome. Amen? He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Verse 14. So, this is the way you can, this is the way you can overcome discouragement. By remembering God. Amen? Now, this church shows us that we, we ought to remember God. It doesn't say seek God. It says remember God. See, the people of God, they knew who God was. And God had bailed them out in the past. God had done some great things for them in the past. And when you're discouraged, you ought to look at your past, at your track record, and you'll notice that God will never leave you. God has always been with you. When you're discouraged, when you're about to give up, think about your past with God. 
Think about the great things He has done in your life. Think about the cancer He healed. Think about the, 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 the marriage He healed. Think about what He's done in your life. He said, remember God. And then He points to two attributes of God. And what are those attributes? Church, He is great and He's awesome. See, when we're discouraged, what's going to save us from discouragement, or when, when opposition comes into life, what's going to save us from opposition is your knowledge about God. Amen? Your knowledge of the character of God. How many of you would agree? See, you need to know who God is, church. You need to know who He is. And, and, and you cannot know who God is through visions. No matter what some people say, some, some jokers will tell you you can know Him by visions and you can know Him by experience. But the best way to know God is through this Scripture. Amen? The best way to know God is to know His attributes. Amen? See, theology shouldn't make you big-headed. It should make you humble. It should make you to know who your God is. So that when trouble comes, so that when, when, when the cancer comes, when the marriage is on the rocks, you can trust in that God. You can say, wait a minute. My God is awesome and great. I don't need to be afraid of this circumstance. See, we need to, to trust in a, in, a, in a great God. Little God theology will not get you, will not get you past the, the cancer, will not get you past the divorce. You need to know that your God is great and He's sitting on His throne and that He's a shot caller. He is in control. He's sovereign. Nothing falls outside of His providence and His sovereignty. Amen? Some of us don't need so much practicality. We just need to know who's on the throne. Amen. We need to get back to theology and, and listen, church. We need to admire and worship the God of the Bible. We just need to be blown away by God. When was the last time you were blown away by God? What the church needs is a higher vision of who God is. Amen. God is in control of everything in your life. Church of North One. God is in control of everything. Why are you discouraged if you are discouraged? God is in control of everything. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Once again, it's been a privilege to be here. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the pastors of this church. Pastor Oscar, Pastor here with us today. Thank you for their lives. We thank you because you've been faithful to this church over over a hundred years, right, brother? This this church has been around. You've been faithful to it and we we thank you for that. Let us not forget that we serve a sovereign king, one who calls the shots, one who's always in control. Amen and amen.